Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. Injustice is a big word today. You just flip on the news and you'll find so many stories, so many uh, different angles, so many different um, manifestations or and concrete, tangible expressions of injustice in the world. Now, if you are not um, tuning in to global news, you can just look at your own life. And what if I ask you that if you could rate from a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, of the injustice in your world, what would you score it? How have you experienced injustice in your own life? Many times when we think that we have encountered a new level in life, whether it be success in our work or whether it be a spiritual development in whatever practice of religion that we have, or may it be a change of status in a relationship, we might fall into thinking that we have arrived and that we will experience a good life. And sometimes Christians even think that once we give our lives to Jesus and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, we are now transported to a new realm of favor that suddenly life becomes easier and um, troubles and challenges go away. Now, I want to wrap up this message by sharing with you three things and that these three things will help us gain a good handle to life's challenges. And the first point is that we are not exempt from the realities of suffering and injustice. In Romans 8.18, Paul teaches us, For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Here we find that Paul is already aware. Paul is already acknowledging. Paul is already connecting that in the present time he was in, there was suffering. Now, if we believe that somehow uh, a mature Christian or a faithful Christian or someone who's very active in ministry is favored and blessed to receive life that is good and abundant, how about Paul? Is Paul not faithful? Is Paul not mature? Is Paul not active in ministry? The Apostle Paul planted so many churches, wrote all these letters to churches that we are benefiting from today. Yet he acknowledges that when he reflects on his life, there are sufferings that he is experiencing. So that automatically shows us that a Christian is not exempt. And even more, a faithful, mature, 
active in ministry, serving God kind of Christian is experiencing suffering, will experience suffering in his time. I think that the awareness that suffering is a real deal or a real part of our journey is something that will already take us into the next level of understanding and processing things. And let's look at verses 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. And look at this. For those who try to argue that maybe some parts of romance are written to mean when Paul wasn't a Christian, look at this. Not only this, but we ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul makes it clear that those who have Spirit in them, and therefore the ones already converted into Christianity, are also groaning, are also suffering. This is such a big theme of Scripture. Yet sometimes we Christians... Our churches try to espouse that, you know, suffering is something that we can deny. Suffering is something that we can escape. Suffering is something that we can uh, set aside. But here, Paul is pastorally sharing that there is an awareness of suffering in the present world. There is Uh, a reason for suffering in the present world. And therefore, we have to see the value of recognizing that as Christians, we are not exempt from the injustice and suffering in this world. And I want to start with that because it's very easy for us to see that or wish that as a Christian, we just get further in life happy. And therefore, when something bad happens to us, we lose a job, we lose a loved one, we lose an opportunity to someone else who we think don't deserve it. The immediate question we ask is, why God? Why me? How did that happen? I serve at church. I go to all these Bible studies. Yet why did you allow this to happen to me? No, when that is our line of questioning, we have to realize that underneath that line of questioning is the perspective that just because we are Christian, we are entitled to an easier life. And here we find no such claim from the Apostle Paul. In fact, the opposite is true, that the whole world suffers, and Christians are suffering with it. So let's not be fooled, brothers and sisters. Let's not even try to fool ourselves into thinking or denying suffering. Because suffering is there. Suffering exists. And when we live long enough in this world, our life will meet injustices, will meet suffering, And so it's not a matter of will I encounter it or not. The real question is not only when, but how are we equipped to manage it? 
And that leads us to the second point. This is all part of our glorious hope of Christ-likeness. There is a plan. There is a purpose. In Romans 8.20, Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope. I take so much comfort and encouragement from this verse. It shows me that what we're going through now is not random. What we're going through now is not uh, even our own uh, undoing only. What we're experiencing now, though it's challenging, is something that the Lord allowed to happen because he is secure in a hope. He has a plan. He is in control. And you might not feel that way. It might not be um, too obvious with everything that's going on. But when we look at God and his word, we begin to see that there's a divine hand ruling over all things that has a divine, beautiful plan. And that plan has been revealed. And look at verses 24 to 25. For in hope we were saved. You see the repetition of hope? It only begins to show that awareness of suffering and injustice is very important because that's how you will appreciate the hope. Now, hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. Paul encourages us here that this plan, this vision, this hope that we do not see is something that exists ordained by God and that's why and that's how we were saved. You and I are part of a great story. You and I are part of a great um, experience, a great plot, a grand narrative and that should inspire us to be encouraged that we are, you know, characters in this grand story of God. We are not useless. We are not unimportant. We are not um, accidents. We are not random mistakes. Have you ever felt that in your life? that you were just a mistake, that you were just an accident. Maybe someone has said those hurtful words to you. Maybe someone has made you believe that the circumstances leading to you were not ideal. But friend, let me tell you this. The word of God 
tells us that we were not accidents. We are not hopeless mistakes. We are part of a plan. We were created for a purpose. We are created for a reason. And you know when 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 you look at Romans 8:28 to 29 and this is a very classic favorite verse. And I'm going to walk you through this passage because many times we go through this and we just focus on the first part. You know, and and, and we even skip the really first part. The first part here says we know, we know, we are convinced, we have an intimate knowledge, we are sure. That's the first part. But many times we skip it and focus on what? All things work together for good for those who love God. And when we're really honest, we tend to just focus on all things work together for good. And so that's how we talk to people. That's how we encourage people. That's how we, we try to lead people to have hope by telling people, brother, sister, all things will work together for good. But when we cheaply or naively or uh, loosely use that, we fail to recognize what that really means. We have to be able to sense where we are and recognize that what all things work together for good is not necessarily an immediate relief from your suffering or even a quick solution to your hardship because that good is not the main point here. And you can qualify and sometimes some preachers or Maybe someone takes the extra mile and says, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God. And then if you get stuck there, then you're adding a guilt factor. Okay? See, this is why being able to proclaim the gospel very clearly in a holistic, complete sense is very important because if you only stick with a portion, you are already in danger of not being able to communicate the real truth. Because now if you add, for those who love God, sometimes we use this and you're like, you know what? All things work together for our good when we love God. So how that translates to us is that I will just love God more, meaning I will perform more for God. I will commit more to ministry. I will commit more of my time to service. This is how I love God. I will give more money to the offering basket. I will uh, pay attention to the Bible study schedules and actually make it. Because in our hearts, we think, okay, if I do these things that show my love for God, everything will work towards my good. See, we don't necessarily say it that way because when we say it that way, it sounds really, really selfish. But if we're really honest, 
if we only stick with this, then our idol factory, which is our hearts, will churn and create this mindset. And so you want to you want to know the truth. The truth is, a lot of us are in ministry because of this reason. Deep inside, we have an idea that the more I put in for God, the more I can withdraw. So we turn God into a bank or an investment scheme. The more I bring to God, the more I will receive. And so two things happen. One, one of two things happen. One, when you put in a lot and then everything doesn't work according to plan, you feel bad. You feel injustice. You feel it's unfair. But the other thing is when you feel like you've not put in enough, and sometimes we think it's not enough when the results don't pan out to be what we want, but when we don't put in enough, there is a guilt. There is a heavy beating off of ourselves that, oh, maybe that's why things aren't working out the way I had hoped because I didn't put in too much. I'm sure that Paul didn't write this to either make you feel that God is unjust or make you feel more guilty. In fact, in Romans 8, the beginning, when we talked about it last week, Paul already says, there is now therefore no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that takes care of that. So what are we trying to do here? Well, I'm trying to point out that when you look at Romans 8, 28 to 29, please just, well, you can please read the whole chapter or this whole passage we have, but also pay attention to not focus on what you want to be the center of this verse because this is not the most important part of this verse. Because earlier I said we're part of a plan. There's suffering, but we can have hope. Because we're part of a grand narrative. So the immediate question is, what is that grand narrative? I don't think the grand narrative is all things work together for your good. That's very self-serving. And sometimes we take the Bible and just use it for our own feelings. But that is not the point. You see, we have here the acknowledgement that there is a greater focus. When Paul says, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, this should uh, absolutely capture your attention because now you should be asking yourself, who is the shot caller? Who calls us? And what purpose is he calling us for? Okay? So if you're a Christian and you like Romans 8, 28, and you are you're like it because of this in highlight, because of the all things work together for good, but you don't necessarily like it because of this part, then brother and sister, I'm telling you now, we have to talk some more. We have to, you know, 
engage each other more, grow more together in understanding this, in, in, in appreciating what this says, and in our knowledge of God and where our you know, places in all of Scripture. Because here, the main subject now is the caller. Who calls and what is his purpose? That's what you and I should be asking. That's our hope. You and I should be asking, oh, I'm facing this suffering. But the Bible says there's hope. Who told me there's hope? Why is he calling me? And what is his purpose? And the purpose is very clear. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's so connected. Paul was building up all the chapters from Romans 1 to now Romans 8. He was trying to shake people to move away from just behavioral focus to uh, their idols of the law or self-performance. And now, last week, we talked about how the first half Romans 8 really dictated upon the importance of our adoption and what it means to be part of God's family. And now it's still so consistent. Paul says, that yes, all things work together for good for those who love God because He calls us for a purpose and that purpose is you know, leading us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus, so that His Son would be the firstborn among the family, among the brothers and the sisters. Our adoption is connected with this experience of sanctification and moving on towards Christ-likeness. Oh, I cannot begin to share. And I don't have all the time to tell you that Christ-likeness never happens just because you will it. Christ-likeness doesn't happen just because you think it. Christ-likeness never happens because you, you know, you planned it. Christ-likeness happens as a process where God initiated the plan, Jesus made the way, and the Holy Spirit keeps on helping us through and through. And that is the hope that we have. When you're suffering, when you're, unjust, when, when, when you're seeing injustice, you want to check your heart and you want to check your mind, you want to check your experience and ask yourself, how is this conforming me to the image of Jesus? And that leads us to the last point, to make it all connected. We are... We have hope that the injustice, the suffering we're experiencing is not the end of us, but we are being conformed to the image of Jesus because that Jesus 
experienced the greatest of injustices to secure our lives, our future, in the most just way. This is what seals the deal. In Romans 8.31-32, the gospel is presented so beautifully. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In Again, we like that verse and we just capture it and, and, and put it in quotes, but we actually miss the more important parts, which is, Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's the most important part. God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So when you're experiencing injustice, when you're experiencing suffering, and when we tell you, or the Bible tells you, or you tell yourself, draw close to God, draw near to God, come to God in prayer, you have the opportunity to connect with someone who knows exactly what you're going through, even worse. Because Jesus did not deserve the treatment he received when he went here. In fact, Jesus did not deserve to bring himself to be human. He was God. He was divine. Yet he was sent here to be like us and lived a perfect life. Yet he died a horrible death. He wasn't spared. And that is the greatest injustice. So when we face injustice, when we face suffering, when you're having a hard time, let's bring that to God. Let's, folk, let's look at God and ask ourselves, how am I connecting to a God who understands this pain? When we come to God, I don't think many of us realize that. I don't think many of us imagine that. We think God is divine, He's almighty, He's so powerful, and that He's far from my world. But look at Paul. Paul is now bringing that far concept of God closer to the hearts of the people, and he makes it clear that God knows and understands what suffering is. And therefore, in verse 35 and 37, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we have complete victory through Him who loved us. Through Him who loved us. The love of Christ is so wide, so deep, so unfathomably rich 
that nothing can separate you from it. And that is only made possible because of the sacrifice, because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And so on the one hand, Jesus Christ faced the greatest injustice as far as humanity is concerned. But as far as God and His divine law is concerned, Jesus' death was the just payment for the penalty of all our sins. And therefore, His love will never fail us. His love will always be there. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, you know, what bad thoughts you have. The love of Jesus will never fail. And that is why Paul issues this strong assurance in verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced. See, Paul is not only making a claim, he's not making a proposition, he's not making a suggestion, he is saying something sure as law itself. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know what this means? This means that sometimes you and I need a little bit more convincing. You and I need a little bit more encouragement. You and I need a little bit more assurance because we posture or we, we, we have the posture that there are things that hinder God's love from coming to our lives. It could be death, it could be spiritual forces. It could be things in the past, things in the present, or things in the future. And it could be ourselves. It could be our guilt. It could be our doubt. You know? And that's why these things, guilt, doubt, religion, these are things that Paul... walk through 
the, the Roman Christians uh, in terms of understanding their place. And that's why we took the time to journey with you in this book study so that you can also walk through whatever it is that you may be putting in between God's love and you. Because many times, that's not even what God is doing. We are the ones, you know, imagining or imposing on God or who He is to fit our consciousness. But here we find that Paul says, and I hope that this can be an assurance to you, that he is convinced through the gift of grace of Christ that nothing, absolutely nothing, will separate us from the love of God. And so, how do we apply this in our setting? How do we apply this in our realities? How do we apply this in our lives? Well, I began with a theme of injustice and asking you to rate from a scale of 1 to 10 how unjust life, your life, or the world around you is. Now with that answer, I want to encourage you with this. The injustices around us do not in any way nullify the Lord's power. Just because there is injustice around you doesn't mean God is less powerful, doesn't mean God is less in control, doesn't mean God is less present. In fact, the injustices around us only reveal God's power, presence, and provision all the more. And this is easier said than done. Because when you're going through suffering, your emotions will be uh, kicking in. Your body and its limitations will be kicking in. Your mind and your ideas will be kicking in. And so it's not so easy to, you know, have that unity of mind, body, and heart recognizing that God is truly there. But even in our own limitations. And Romans 8 says this, that the Spirit is helping us with inner groanings when we don't even know what to say. He is there. When we don't even know what to say or what to think or what to believe in, He is there working overtime to help us. And you know what? Maybe that's why you're here right now. Maybe that's why you're listening to this sermon right now. Maybe that's because you, maybe that's why you're watching this right now because this is part of the spirit working the truth out in your life. And so pay attention. 
Don't be quick to reject. Don't be quick to resist. Allow the Word of God to embrace you. Allow the love of God to take over. Allow this plan of God to lead you. And where He leads you could be the highest of heights. It could be the lowest of depths. But the promise of God is He will always be there. So for some practical application, last week I shared that, you know, let's take the time to pray and pray to God more as a son, as a child, as a, as a daughter, and not so much as a formal servant. All the more, let's come to God and pray to Him, you know, recognizing that if nothing will separate me from His love, and I could just come with all my bitterness. I could come with all my anxiety. I could come with all my questions. And he will still handle it. And yes, I'm telling you, brother and sister, he will handle it. He will. He can. So I want you to think about your prayer life. And maybe ask this question with me. What do you want? God to do in your prayer life? What do you want God to do in your prayer life, in your family's prayer life, in your small group's prayer life, in your church's prayer life? What do we want God to do in our prayer life? Because this helps us connect with the assurance that we have of the love of God, with the glorious hope that we have in Christ-likeness, and that whatever we're going through now has reason, has a, a purpose. That's one. Second, I want you to start thinking about how you relate suffering and, and injustice with the greatness of God. You know, if we have believed, because you know, over the years, we may have just been practicing and believing that somehow we have a sense of entitlement in this world. Maybe it's begin maybe it's good to begin to see that in reverse. If our Lord and Master Jesus Christ went through suffering, and if there's something we, you and I are entitled to, then it's suffering as well. Now, we're not calling it uh, suffering mentality or poverty mentality. We're just calling it the way of the cross. The way of the cross reveals that the path to being more like Christ is through a balanced life of good times and bad times, not only an exclusive relationship to one. And lastly, 
if you have grown in this Romans book study, and I want you to think about the insights that you had and consider that maybe it's also good to share that with people in the God has put around you. Begin to apply the truth you have learned by also imparting it on others who need to hear that truth as well. Now, if you need help, we're here. That's why we have our social media team working overtime so that you can have our notes, you can have our podcast, you can have our, 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 our rerun of the worship service on YouTube Live. You know, we are here to equip you, we're here to help you, we're here to walk with you. And sometimes when we impart the truth to others, it helps us as well. Remember it, grow in it, and also um, experience it. And so if you have encountered something good in this series, please share it to others. And if there is a question or a, 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 an insight or a, a conviction that you also have, then please share it also to our community groups that meet online right now, but eventually we hope to meet physically together. This series has been very special for me as a pastor because it allowed me to take something normally used very doctrinally and really see the pastoral heart of Paul into sharing to the Christians. And I know right now, life is not easy for many of us. You don't even have to turn on the TV. You don't even have to go to the internet. Life is hard for us where we are. And I know sometimes it's just overwhelming. Sometimes it feels easy to, easily and, and you know, tempting to give up, to take a shortcut, to compromise, to let go. I want to encourage you, brother and sister, that God loves you. We love you. The Holy Spirit is working alongside you every single day. You might not feel Him, but He's with you and He has a plan. And you will get to that plan and you will accomplish that plan by His grace. And let's just trust Him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that your love was something manifested concretely through the life of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think and take for granted the fact that you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross. But we fail to acknowledge that this was the greatest injustice in the world, yet was necessary to ultimately provide justice for our forgiveness. Father, thank you for this forgiveness that we receive. We're so sorry for our sins, so sorry for 
being the reason why Jesus Christ had to be on the cross. But Lord, we thank you for your supreme grace, your supreme justice, your supreme forgiveness. And we pray that these truths will embrace us, empower us, hold us together through this suffering. Lord, I pray for those people in our church and those listening right now who are going through tough times. And Lord, sometimes you are so tired Sometimes it's so overwhelming and nothing is helping. Lord, though we feel this way, we pray that we will come to experience and be acquainted and intimately uh, connected with your Spirit working in us to bring about Christ-likeness. And Lord, we pray that this experience of being part of your family will lead us to dream and hope for what is ultimately the better future that none that there's nothing this world can offer to match the great reconciliation the great reunion we will have with you one day Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.